continue on in our journey through the Gospel of John. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan, and I'm so glad that you are here. Today, of course, is special for, for a couple of reasons. One is it's obviously Super Bowl Sunday, and for us here at New Hope, it's soup with a, uh, like the drinking soup kind of a thing. And so if you have not yet uh, got some soup yet to support our preschool, we're doing amazing work. What's on the table is what's left. And so would encourage you after this service to, to go by and visit and, and either grab some soup or just express your appreciation for the great work that they're doing with the kids. Uh, it really is a powerful ministry. Also, it's a special reason for a birthday for another reason. I'd like to invite Pastor Jake, if you would come on down, please, because today is Pastor Jake's birthday. So the students love you. And uh, in fact, if you would come on down, they've got a little something for you. Apparently, it's for you to wear throughout the day and the rest of the day. A balloon wristband, if I understand right. So if you see him, give him a hug, give him a high five. Yes, you will, you will be easy to find. Jake, we appreciate you. Your students love you. Thanks for all you do at New Hope. All right, hey, if you would, grab your Bibles. John chapter four is where we're gonna be today. If you have a tablet or smartphone, uversion.com is a great resource for you to follow along there. Also, speaking of resource, hopefully you have and are using the uh, uh, Gospel of John devotional booklet guide. This goes with it. And if you're just now hearing about this for the first time, we do have some, some fresh copies for you and they're in the back there on the table and you can pick one up. Really, this sermon series for 15 weeks, we go through the Gospel of John, partners between Sunday morning sermon and then during the week, you work through your booklet, and uh, it's just a, a fantastic resource. And I've been so encouraged with the stories I'm hearing on Sundays, folks showing up with their devotional guides and, uh, and, and going through that. So great job, New Hope. Keep it up as we continue our, our journey here. Now today, we're going to be talking about uh, a conversation which is actually just like last week. Now, last week, if you remember, John chapter three, Jesus was approached at night by a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, as you remember, he was a, a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was uh, educated, uh, all of that. And he comes to Jesus because he wants to know who he is. He's interacting with this question with Jesus. Today, in John chapter four, in a similar way, we're gonna be let in on a conversation. And John almost gives an entire uh, chapter to this conversation, but the audience that he has this time couldn't be more different than Nicodemus. The, the conversation this time is not with a leader. It's not with an educated person. It's not with a, a, a religious even person necessarily. This was a, a woman who was a Samaritan, who was, who was lonely, isolated, and rejected. She was a hurting person. And yet Jesus pursues her to have this conversation. Now this, this text that we're going to look at, we're going to work through a lot of scripture today. We're gonna keep us, I'm going to keep us moving. But, but by no means can we cover everything that's in here. There's so much in these verses that are they're so good and they're so powerful. And so can I just encourage you, much like last week, this week with your Bible on your own, grab a cup of coffee, whatever the case may be, and just on your own, go through these verses again. Read through this passage again and let, let God just speak to you about what's going on in this passage. Do that individually. Uh, do that as a small group maybe as if you're in a group and we're working through John. And so I would encourage you to do that because these, these verses are packed. So hopefully you're there now. John chapter 4, uh, verse 1. A lot to get to. Let's go ahead and get started. Here's how it begins. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. 
Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Let's pause here. So the scene is such that Jesus is, is in the southern part near Jerusalem of Israel, and he's going to make a journey to the northern part of Israel. Now, I've got a map for us so we can understand the geography of what's going on here. The green route is the route that Jesus took. He's in the southern part, and he's going to wind his way through Samaria to get ultimately up to the northern part of Galilee. Now, this is a three-day journey. It's a long journey in the, in the desert heat there. But what Jesus did in taking the green route was something that no Jewish person at this time ever, 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 never, never, ever, however many times you want to add that, did this. Jewish people did not journey through Samaria. And I say, well, why is that the case? Well, because Israel at that time, the Jewish people hated, with a capital H, the Samaritans. And for that matter, it was pretty mutual. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Now, the challenge is, of course, Samaria is plopped right in the middle between the two sides or the two halves of Israel. So it was inconvenient. But the hatred is hard to put in words that existed between these two people groups. In fact, it was famously said that if a, if a Jewish young man or woman met and fell in love with a Samaritan, the family threw a funeral, not a wedding. That person was dead to them. That's the degree of hatred that's at place here. Now, there's, like most fights and feuds, there's a whole backstory to why this was the case. I don't have time to get into all that today, but here's the core issue. The core issue that was going on here was the Samaritans were Jewish originally, but they began the practice of marrying unbelievers. Now, this is bad. So all you single people, write that down. That's bad. So they began to, believers marrying unbelievers. Well, what happened? Well, then their family gets confused because you got a little of this and a little of that and it comes together. And what happened over generations is new versions of religion began to form. So much so that the Samaritans didn't look much like the Jewish people anymore and the Jews didn't look much like the Samaritans. To give you an example, the, the, the Samaritans got to the point where the Old Testament, which is the text for the, the Jewish people, they rejected most of it. They only agreed with the first five books, cut out the rest of it. The Samaritans got to a place where they began to add some sexual practices into their worship. The Old Testament even tells us at one point that the, the, um, the Samaritans began the practice of child sacrifice. I mean, this is, this is very different and so the Samaritans couldn't go to Israel and worship at the temple, so the Samaritans build their own temple in their area, and Israel stayed away from Samaria. So much so that the red line there represents the path that every Jewish man or woman would travel during that time to avoid getting Samaritan dust on their sandals. They would go around Samaria all the way, and that would add three extra days. It, now the three-day journey turned into a six-day journey. Now you know you hate somebody if you will add three days of walking in desert heat to avoid interacting with a people group. That's the setting. That's what's going on here at this time. And yet we read here that Jesus did the unthinkable and he chose to go the green route to go into Samaria. Could you imagine the disciples? I'm sure traveling with Jesus. Jesus, are you sure? Not too late to turn around. Hey, look, Jesus, there's another way we can go. I mean, whatever they could do to keep him from going, but Jesus is determined to go to Samaria. He has an appointment to keep with a woman at the well, as we're gonna read about here. And so he does. He, he goes through Samaria. He arrives at Sychar. It's a desert town. It's noon, so it's hot. He's tired. He sits by the well, and that sets the stage 
for this conversation between Jesus and this woman. Here's how it begins. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now in that day, it was the job of the ladies to get the water. That's what they did. And so they would go out early morning and they would go out at dusk, the cooler times of the day, and they would draw the water. Now this, this was work, but it was also, um, there was a social element to this. See, see, the women would go out to the well with the other ladies and that's where they would catch up on the local like gossip and just visit with each other and what's happening and share their lives and talks, right? So, so we go to Starbucks, they went to the well. That's how that would work. And they would go to the well and they would interact and spend time together. That's how, that's how they would, would do that. Now, notice that this woman, though, comes at noon to draw water, which means one of two things. First, either she had a water emergency and she needed more water, and so she grabs her container to go out to get more water, or more likely, she was not welcome in that group of women, that she was an outcast, that she was completely isolated, that rather than helping this woman at the well, that group of ladies was more happy to talk about her, to gossip about her and to cut her off. Some of you, you you know what that feels like. It's It's a horrible place to be. Now, I can't say this strongly enough. So this woman comes in the middle of the day to avoid all the the other social uh, trappings with this event of grabbing water, but there's a Jewish man sitting there, and Jesus does the unthinkable and speaks to her. Again, that never happened. Never, never happened. And she was shocked. Look with me at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus is breaking every cultural norm to have this interaction with this woman. He's breaking breaking the norm of, of in that day, men did not talk to women. You barely talk to your spouse in public, much less somebody else. Men never talk to women in public, but here he is doing it. Jews never talk to Samaritans. Godly people and religious people in those days never talk to the ungodly. You have layer after layer after layer of these cultural norms where this conversation should never happen, but Jesus, so intent to have this conversation, just breaks through all of them in order to interact with her. Uh, and, and don't miss this. The, the, the idea where he comes and he asks her for a drink of water, which, by the way, would have made Jesus culturally unclean to go to the temple just by doing that. But him doing that is the cultural equivalency of saying, hey, would you like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with me so we can get to know each other? That's what he's saying to her. I'd like to visit with you. I'd like to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. No, no reason, no, I mean, no wonder that she's completely shocked at this event that was taking place. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. That word living can also mean flowing water or fresh water. Now, she's thinking H2O. Just like Nicodemus was confused, we looked at last week's conversation as she's talking with Jesus, he wasn't quite keeping up. So the woman at the well, she also is not quite tracking what he's saying. She's thinking he's talking about this new fresh water source, a new stream of sorts. So she says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living or flowing water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. Well, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, he's talking about the well water now, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So again, she's, she's missing the point. She, she's thinking this is H2O, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about that and he's not offering that. She's thinking, where's this new water source? So I don't have to keep coming to the well in order to be by myself to have to draw the water up from the well. I don't wanna do that anymore. If you know about a new source, let me go there. And Jesus says, yeah, I've got a new source, but it's living water. What he's offering to her is a new life with the Holy Spirit. What he's offering to her is, is forgiveness, is redemption, is restoration. He's, he's talking about something completely different. See, he knows that she needs him. But she doesn't know it yet. So what he does, I think, is very interesting. What Jesus is gonna do, and don't miss that this is a loving thing to do, is that he's going to ask her something and draw out of her a, to recognize her need for a savior. He's gonna bring her to a point where she recognizes, I don't have my life altogether because she's a lot like us. We present pretty well. It's all good. I've got this. But what Jesus will even do in our life is he will dig and probe and expose and bring things to the surface so that we have to look at it and we have to deal with it. And that's what he does here. He loves her too much to leave her alone. Verse 16. So he told her, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. Now he's getting personal. Verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you are now uh, have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. This woman's been through a lot, hasn't she? Five, five husbands, five divorces, shacking up with number six. And I don't know her any more than you do, and we have the text in front of you, but I, I just have to assume or think that as a little girl, this was not her dream. This was not the way that she dreamed her life to go. And we don't know what happened. We don't know if it was just a journey of guy after guy marked by abuse. Uh, we don't know if it, was, if it was her doing and she just kept blowing up her own relationships. We, we, we don't know if, if, that's the, if that's the case. We don't know that if she, she kept looking for a man to fulfill in her life what only God can fulfill in her. And so every guy came up short and it just never worked out. We, we don't know. But, but I will say this, just a couple things. One is, and I'm speaking to those of you who are married here this morning, is that sometimes what we do, even unknowingly, is we hand our spouse a Jesus resume and we expect them to fill it and to fulfill it. But the problem is they can't. Sometimes we expect our spouse to fill the role in our heart and life that only God can truly fill. And we put too much weight on them. They get frustrated. You get frustrated. And there it goes. I also want to talk just a moment for you, uh, with you uh, about 
those of you who your story is that there's been divorce in your life, that you've gone through that, that you've been in that place before, that you, you've gone through that horrendous, painful experience. Because I think sometimes what can happen is when you go through that, you can wonder whether it's on the forefront of your mind or it's just kind of in there somewhere, is there forgiveness for me? And am I loved? Or you think about a church. I mean, am I welcome in a church? And the answer is an emphatic yes. I, I mean, the, the, the whole, it, it'd be synonymous for all of us now, this idea of I just got hit by a car and I've got broken bones, am I welcome at the hospital? The answer is yes. Yes, you are. Because the reality is, it's all of our story. We're all broken. And we're all, we all have scars. And what I love about this account here, among other things, is that Jesus went through a lot to reach a broken woman who'd been through divorce, who'd experienced that pain, but he showed up there and he loved her exactly in that place. And I just want to remind us all this morning, no matter what your scars are, we all have scars. We all have owies. What do little kids do when they meet each other? They show each other their owies, don't they? Look at here and look at here. And sometimes as adults, we grow out of that and we cover them, but we got them. I just want to remind us all that whether it's, of course, new hope, but bigger than that, the kingdom of God and your relationship with him, I am so glad that he is pursuing people who are broken because I need that. And so do all of us, right? This is what he does. And this is what he's doing here with this woman. Verse, verse 19, so, so let's keep going. So Jesus, he's, he's exposed the personal. He's brought it out. He's, he's highlighted that you've had five husbands and number six you're, you're living with here. Verse 19, the woman says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. He acknowledges, well, you got that one right. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that, they're, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, no surprise, notice this woman, she changes the subject. We would do this too. Here's the setting. It's like Jesus is like, hey, we're gonna talk about your love life. She's like, whoa, how about them chiefs, right? I mean, she's just totally redirecting over here to be like, I ain't going there. That's not something I am comfortable talking. We just met. This is just happening here, and you're going right to the heart. It's too much too soon too deep. It's too much in my core. But, but here she, she brings this up. But he, again, he loves her too much to let it go. Verse 21, it continues. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So he's going to keep talking to her about worship. And, and the Samaritans, remember, they built their own temple. They had their own mountain to worship on. So there's Jerusalem temple for the Jews. There's Samaritan temple for the Samaritans. He says, a time will come when you will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, meaning the Jews, worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. See, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Well, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything 
to us. Then Jesus declares something he didn't do very often. He said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. There's so much in these verses, but we see here that Jesus is saying, the Lord, I, I'm looking for worshipers. Worshipers who worship in truth, worship in spirit, meaning under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The, the Father is looking for worshipers. Now this woman raised the worship topic. Jesus goes with it, and now she's kind of in it. But here's what I think is interesting. I think the woman accidentally, in just my opinion, I think she accidentally brought up what was actually the real issue. I think the real issue going on here for this woman and frankly for every single one of us is actually the topic of worship. I do. Here's your, if we have bulletin, your first fold in the blank on the back side, here it is. And here's our key for this morning. That underneath every problem is a worship problem. Underneath every problem that we go through foundationally, at the bottom of it all, is a worship problem. See, we were created to worship. And if we don't worship the true God, we will worship God's substitutes. Every time. Every single one of us. We will just do that. We will insert something into that place, that void, because we were built to worship. And so we do worship. And if not God, then we worship our job and our kids and maybe our grandkids. And we worship our income and our stuff. And we worship our sports team, or whatever the case may be, we just insert all kinds of things in there that have our affection, that we sacrifice to. The Bible calls those idols. And I will give you just my opinion, but the unholy trinity of American idols that we worship here in America, I think it's threefold. I think it's food, alcohol, and sex. That's what we worship. Some people call that a weekend. I mean, that's where we come. And we, and we come to those places over and over again, these, these like functional saviors that we think are gonna fulfill us and rescue us and meet our needs. And yet every single time we think they will comfort us, but they just distract us. And they, li they lie to us. And they leave us more empty than we were before. And we find ourselves in a worse place than we were before. And then we just keep going back. And we just keep feeding it. Because what's going on? Well, we're not longer worshiping as we're built to do the true God and God filling that place that we were built to have filled by him alone. We're up substituting all these other things into it and it leaves us empty and hollow and lost. This is what's going on with her. This is what's going on with us. So we've gotta be very, very careful. And here's why. Your next fill in the blank is this. That when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. I'm here to tell you, and this is for me too, that anytime you take a good thing in your life and you make it the God thing in your life, it's not a good thing anymore. We've got to be careful. So, what are you worshiping? And who do you worship? And, and this quote, I think, captures it well. You're still trying to figure out, what does this mean? D.L. Moody said, whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whatever that is. And I would just encourage you, and I'll put myself at the front of the line, I would encourage us 
that you would just take time this week in your devotional guide or a piece of paper, whatever it is, and just do some heart searching. Where am I at? What has my affection? What has my attention? What has my finances? What has my time? What is that thing that in my life, when I'm honest, is more important than God? And to evaluate that. And I don't know for this woman, I, I don't know what she was worshiping. Maybe it was the idea of love. Maybe it was men. Maybe it was relationships. Maybe it was something else entirely. But here's what I do know. Is that she worshiped her way into a crisis. And now she's got to worship her way out of that crisis. And it's the same for you and I. That we need to do this. That we need to be aware of this. See, this conversation brought her to a place where Jesus exposed her needs And she came to realize what we need to come to realize, and many of you have, that I need a savior. That how I'm living is not honoring God. And so she she even says it. She says, I can't wait for the Messiah to show up. And then Jesus, who rarely ever was this direct, said, I'm right here. I'm here. You're talking to him. This incredible climactic moment in the conversation. So what happened next? Verse 27. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised. This is an understatement, by the way. We're surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I, I, I love this. Here you have the, this woman who is isolated, hurting, rejected by the community, the one that everybody talked about and nobody ever talked to. And now she's a missionary for Jesus because of this encounter she had. She goes back to her village and begins to proclaim, I think I found the one, the Messiah. He told me everything that I ever did. And she's talking to the people uh, about this. And I just think, by the way, this destroys any argument where we could put up in our own hearts and say, you know, God can't use a person like me, or I don't know enough. And I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to know a lot. You just have to know him. That's the difference. What did she know? She knew, she, she knew just that much. She just knew those moments of talking to him. That's all she knew. All she had, her message was, I think I found the Messiah. What else do you know? That's all I know. He told me everything I ever did. I think we found the Messiah. Let's go explore this ourselves. Let's go check this out. This is what she's doing. She's now a missionary for him. Verse 31, let's keep going. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. Again, these disciples are not getting it. There's a tale of two stories going on here. There's revival breaking out that Jesus is leading here with with this woman and this village, and the disciples are all about food. They're like, like Jesus is, is, is saving this woman. They're like, hey, Jesus, you want a burrito? Like, that's what they're talking about. And the contrast here is striking between these guys. They're not tracking, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, they can't let it go. Could someone have brought him food? I mean, they're, just, they're still talking about food. Finally, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do, don't uh, you have a, a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have, have reaped the benefits of their labor. 
an incredible teachable moment for the disciples, this incredible scene. So, so what do we do with this? I want to close this morning. I just, I just want to offer you two observations, and then I'm going to give you a challenge. Here's your first observation. Next, fill in the blank. And I want us and you to really think about this. It's this idea that you cannot, I cannot enjoy healthy relationships with others until you have a healthy relationship with God. Take it to the bank. Every time. That we can't enjoy a healthy relationship with others until we have a healthy relationship in place with God. You know what this means? This means your relationship with God is the most important relationship in your life. Is it? Is it the most important relationship in your life? To to say it a different way, what what this means is your relationship with God, that's the thermostat that measures the the, the temperature of all your other relationships. These are the thermometers. That's the thermostat. What's it set at? Getting right here, becoming a worshiper of him, of saying, God, there's a lot of things that compete for your attention, but I'm going to worship you first and most that becomes key. We've got to get that relationship in place first. See, what all this means is that you and I, we need Jesus. I don't know another way to say it. We just need Jesus. This woman, the Samaritan woman needed Jesus. We need Jesus. Your children need Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. Everybody, there's no exception. We need Jesus. And you know what also that means? It means this. As we read this account, we have to understand the truth of the matter is we're all Samaritans. And we're all just like that Samaritan woman. Now, maybe the furniture of your life looks different. But we shouldn't read this account to say, go, Jesus, get that train wreck of a woman whose life fell apart, five divorces. Well, look down my nose at her and and, and think, boy, she's a mess. Good thing I'm not like that. That's not the way we should read this. Because the bottom line is, just like she needed Jesus, so do we. Just like she had been naughty, so are we. Just like she has set up idols in her life, so do we. We do the exact same thing. It's all the same. And I'm just so thankful that Jesus is still having encounters with people today just like he did with that woman 2,000 years ago. He's still seeking out people today, us, you, me. It's an amazing thing. So we need Jesus. Number two, just as we begin to close this morning, is this idea that Jesus not only forgives sin, Don't miss this. He also lifts burdens. This woman, Jesus, brings her to the place. He says, look, I'm the Savior, and she she believes. I mean, she she leaves the jar. She goes back to the village. There's a sense that she's she's changed. I mean, consider this. She's no longer running away from people. She's running to people. And she's no longer ashamed of herself and her story. She now knows that Jesus just changed her story. She, she knows that she's different, that he's lifted her burdens, that she's no longer defined. She's no longer defined by what those gossipy women at the well say about her. She's no longer defined by what her exes say about her. She's no longer defined even what she thinks about herself. We do this so often, don't we? We just let our identity be formed by what other people say or what we conjure up in our own mind. Rather, her identity now is in Jesus and who he says she is. You are forgiven and you are unashamed. You are changed. You, have to, you, you know that your story is a story now of redemption. 
You, you can know that your story is, you know, your, your tomorrow is, doesn't have to look just like your yesterday. And, and here she's at this place. Look, look what happens here, verse 39. I think this is significant. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Here was, again, he told me everything I ever did. You know what's amazing about that? She's not hiding it anymore. She, she's just honest about it. This is where I've been. This is what I did. This is what I struggled with. This is where I was hurting. And she just said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, verse 40, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know, I love this, that this man really is the Savior of the world. I love that. And it's such a good reminder. When you know you're forgiven, you're okay with allowing your mess to be a part of your message. Because it's not who you are. And you can share your story. And you can share your scars and your owies. And you can say, this is where I was, but that's not who I am anymore. Because of what Jesus has done in my heart. And I think if we're honest, I think far too often we understand the forgiveness of Jesus, but we don't as often grab a hold of and understand how he lifts our burdens. I mean, propositionally, we understand that Jesus forgives and we accept him into our life to be Lord and Savior, and we understand there's forgiveness there. But what happens a lot of times is the stuff that we've done and the places we've been and the scars that we have, we continue to allow that to define who we are, don't we? And we continue to carry that with us. The shame and the guilt, we don't as easily let it go. Probably a number of reasons why we don't. Yeah, I know I'm forgiven, but... We just keep lugging that stuff around. But we can learn here this morning that that's not what he wants for us. So who is Jesus? He's Savior and he's Messiah. And what does he want from you? What does he want for you? He wants worshipers. And he wants you to worship him. He, he wants to be in that place in your heart and life where he's the most important part of your heart and life. That's what he longs for. That's what he desires. And the band, you come up if you would, please. And now the challenge as we close. The Ten Commandments, a famous passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, give ten commands. There they are. And there's just a summary of them there laid out. And I, I want to offer you a, a thought. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, you know, if, if we, the church, would just take seriously and obey the first two commands, numbers three through 10 would fall right into place. You'd obey the, the other ones. If, if you just focus on the first two, if you just focus on putting God first and worshiping him only, if that becomes your focus and no longer is it idols that we substitute in, we get rid of those that God, look, you're the most important. There's a lot of good things in my life, but nothing is more important than you. You are my focus. I'm gonna worship you first and most. 
That's the command. Worship God only. If we just did that, what difference would that make in your life and in your walk with God? I think a pretty substantial one. Because if you're worshiping him first and most, do not hurt other people, be faithful in your marriage, do not steal, lie, covet other people, that takes care of itself. Because your attention's on him and he's changing you. And so here's my challenge, twofold. Number one, would you, next slide, would you memorize Exodus 20, verse three? It's a short verse, you can do this. Do this individually, as a family, a small group. You shall have no other gods before me. Memorize it. Get it on the the hard drive of your mind and hide it in your heart. You shall have no other gods before me. As you wake up every day, I will put no other gods in front of you, God. I'm gonna worship you first and most. I'm gonna be a worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth because that's what you desire. And as I do that, I know that's what's best for me. And so my encouragement, memorize this verse and strive to live it out. Here's the second part. As you're doing that, and we're gonna do it here in just a moment, but would you go before God and say, God, this takes courage, but I invite you into my heart and life to examine my heart and life. Will you reveal to me the idols that I'm clinging to? We all have them. There's no exceptions in this room. Would you reveal those to me? And then God, whatever those things are that I'm holding on to and I'm worshiping those things, maybe I haven't even thought about it before, but I am, it's time to let them go and to say, God, it's all you. I don't want good things in my life to become God things. And so I'm gonna set them down. I'm gonna focus on you. And so we're gonna, we're gonna worship here in just a moment as we close this morning, but I wanna give you a few moments to just before God, just silently you and him, just, just talk it out and where you're at. And maybe this morning is a time of confession. It's a time to confess. Confessing is a cleansing thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that we should practice as believers. Confessing, asking God, God, will you help me in this area to be a worshiper of you? So let's go to God now. I invite you just to close your eyes and pray. We'll have some soft music playing and then I'll close this with prayer and then we're gonna stand and worship together. Let's pray. Father, just like you had this pursued encounter through your son with this woman at the well, thank you that you want to meet with each of us this morning. And Father, this morning we come in a posture of confession for the idols that have gripped our heart and grabbed our attention, that consume our time and our finances, the the things that we chase thinking it it will fulfill, that it will comfort Father, ultimately, we need you. That you're the one that can meet all those needs. Lord, forgive us for all the times and ways that we just, we don't go to you. And so, Lord, we ask collectively as your church 
that we would do that, that we would be, that we would be vigilant to worship you in all things, that we would put nothing before you and above you, that we would live out Exodus 20, verse 3, where we ask Holy Spirit that you would help us to do that. Father, we pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen.